Country Sportsman Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. <clears throat> We're not just a radio show anymore. Heck yeah. This is Sporting Journal Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thank you for tuning in on this station right here by downloading the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts or by watching this on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. That's Dan Amundsen right over there. Dan, how you doing? Hey, doing well. We got a big show, uh, a new video coming out from Sporting Journal Radio on our YouTube channel, an epic snook trip in the Gulf. We'll show you a clip from that here just in a few minutes, or you can go to our YouTube channel, watch the whole thing right now. We've got Randon Olson with a uh, Otter Tail Lakes Country Fishing Report talking about walleyes and starting to think about fall musky fishing as well. Uh, Joe Henry is going to join us to give us a report from up at Lake of the Woods. And there's been some news about Mille Lacs, about fall fishing regulations on Mille Lacs. Is it good news? Is it bad news? We're going to find out. Brian Nurbin is a regional fisheries manager with the Minnesota DNRs. He's going to he's going to explain what the new regs are, what it means, and what it could mean for the future. Dan, who are the sponsors this week? Yeah, this week we have Haybell Heights Campground and Resort on Devil's Lake. Book a trip to Devil's Lake at haybellheights.com. Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Lake of the Woods Tourism. Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital. Plan a trip for this summer or fall at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Camp Grayling will be there next week. Catch the Grand Slam. Lake Trout Pike, Grayling, and Walleye Fish Camp Grayling this summer. On X, know where you stand with On X. Mid-migration outfitters, we're getting ready for the upcoming waterfall season. Come hunt with us out of our heated pits and comfortable blinds. Learn more at midmigrationoutfitters.com. And Prairie Sportsman, new season wrapped up. Watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel or check your TV guide for rerun times. Can't believe we're talking about hunting right now, Dan. Seasons are open. North Dakota, let's go. So excited about it. I love fall. It's my favorite time of the year. I have enjoyed summers lately. I think it's mostly because we've been going to Saskatchewan. It helps. It helps to have good fishing, and you're not very good at fishing around here, so you have to go where you can catch big yeah, fish. Not to wrong. Help yourself out there. Yeah, it's very true. I uh, and we are actually before summer ends, we are going back up to Saskatchewan. We're going to be up at Camp Grayling, up by Stony Rapids in uh, northern Saskatchewan. Then we're going to spend some time over at Tobin Lake with Trails End Outfitters with our friends there. We're going to chase walleyes and pike on Tobin, and then do some waterfall hunting uh, in Saskatchewan before we come back as well, too. So I'm sure we'll be doing uh, a bunch of more a bunch of videos and uh some radio and stuff like that from up there so you can follow along with our adventures follow sporting journal radio on youtube of course and then on facebook and instagram uh to see how we do while we're up there in saskatchewan and of course you can follow camp grayling taz and lake lodge and trails and outfitters while we're there as well too uh fall fishing is something that i am a little bit more excited about in recent years we've done a little bit more fishing here in minnesota in the fall it's always hard because it's there's so many hunting opportunities and i love to hunt so but fall fishing can be really good and they're trying to open up more opportunities on Mille Lacs for fall fishing so they've expanded uh some of the, the they've relaxed the slot limit a little bit and we're going to break down the details about that coming up in a little bit with Brian Nurbin. But this is there's also a five-year plan going on. So I wanted to talk to Brian a little bit about what exactly the future holds for Mille Lacs because it's always kind of a frustrating conversation when you talk about Mille Lacs, right? Uh, uh, the season's closed or it's catch and release only or you can only keep one fish. Well, we've had that now for a number of years. How long is it going to stay that way? Well, Mille Lacs started a five-year plan or the DNR started a five-year plan on Mille Lacs this year. And to go back just a little bit to determine how they came up with this plan in 2019, 
There were 1,300 people, uh, anglers, stakeholders. They participated in a study with the DNR to give public input on Mille Lacs to help develop this plan. In 2020, they took that plan to the tribes involved to get their input. And in 2021, they released a draft for the public to review. Then last fall, they gave the tribes a final review and then implemented the plan this year. Now, there's three main goals of this five-year plan. Number one, serve a diversity of lake interest. Now that kind of scares me originally because it's, you know, it's kind of, it's a walleye fishery, right? It's also a muskie and smallmouth and pike and perch fishery. I understand that. But first and foremost, you need to protect the walleyes in that lake. That's uh, kind of the majority of uh, stakeholders and users for that lake. That's what they're there for. So to serve a diversity of lake interest, it's still Walleyes are still kind of a priority. That, this mainly means keeping a positive relationship with the tribes, informing the public about the health of the fishery, and then just educating people about that lake and what makes that lake special and what opportunities are there at that lake, in addition to walleye fishing, of course. The second goal is to provide a predictable management process. Now, this is an important goal. Because what this means is it includes more open communication with the public with easy to understand explanations. You know, that's, that's, Mika's moving my camera over there right now. <laughs> Mika, you're a terrible camera person. Uh, what that means is occasionally the Minnesota DNR, it's, you know, you've got biologists and bureaucrats and things like that. Sometimes communication can be kind of tough. You don't always understand what they're trying to tell you because... Sometimes it's, it's written in biologist speak or in government speak. So they're going to try to make it more uh, easily understandable when it comes to the management process. It's also meant to plan earlier for any type of changes so that you're not surprised by any sudden closures on the lake. Like, you know, ahead of time, okay, this is the way it's going to go. So if you're planning a trip to Mille Lacs or uh, you're all of a sudden on Friday, like, ah, it's this Friday, let's go up there. And the next thing you know, it's closed or it changes or whatever. They're trying to make it more predictable. So you know, what's going to happen. Another goal is to maintain a healthy, self-sustaining fish population that supports angling, recreation, and harvest as well. A lot of the input from the public was about sustainability for walleyes and having the chance for a harvest. Of course, people want to keep a couple walleyes to eat. It did show more support for spring and fall fishing versus winter angling, which I was kind of surprised about. So that's where I think some of this extended opportunity, some of the loosening of the slot limits for this fall uh, is coming from. There's a lot of angler support for fishing in the spring, fishing in the fall, and also keeping a fish when you do that as well. Um, and despite a lot of smallmouth angling on the lake, no one really seemed to care about offering input on how they were managed. So they went out and asked all these people, how should we manage Mille Lacs? Nobody really said anything about smallmouth. And I, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that it's such a good fishery, but nobody really keeps smallies. So as long as uh, there's big smallmouth and the opportunity to go there and catch and release them, I don't think anybody really, really minds how things are going. 98% of all harvest legal size smallmouth are released on Mille Lacs. So that tells you right there that no changes really need to be made. Um, and obviously they understand uh, uh, that smallmouth fishing, musky and pike fishing are important. So they want to keep managing the lake as a world-class fishery uh, for those fish species as well, too. But a lot of this management plan comes down to dealing with walleyes, of course. Uh, they're also going to study perch as a forage and then protect the cold water species like ciscos and burbot.
Now, more details about this plan are available on the Minnesota DNR website. Dan's been showing it on the screen here. And then we'll also have a link to it at sportingjournalradio.com. And and then uh, Brian Nurbin's going to join us to break down some more of those things and what it means. And actually, some good news about Perch. He's got some good news about Perch on Mille Lacs, as a matter of fact, which it's it's good, but it could have made fishing tough this summer. We'll find out more with Brian coming up later in the show. We've also got uh, Randon Olson on the way and Joe Henry. And then uh, when you're online, make sure to subscribe to the Sporting Journal Radio YouTube channel where you can catch all of our shows and learn more about some of the best hunting and fishing experiences that are available to you right now, including if you want to take a trip down south and do some saltwater fishing. I was never really interested in it that much. Now I want to go back because this this is a little sample of a video that's available now on our YouTube channel. This was our epic snook fishing experience in the Gulf. A barracuda just tried to eat a shark. We are definitely not in Minnesota anymore. After our time at ICAST in Orlando, we were invited to fish the Gulf by Vic Cook from Live Target and Dina Vic from King Eider Communications. Now, I'd never fished saltwater before, and Dan had never seen the ocean, so we jumped at the chance, and I'm glad we did. Our guide today is Billy Alstrom from Suncoast Fishing Charters, and it didn't take long for him to put us on the fish. <laughs> There you go. There's a little sample of the video you can watch now on the YouTube channel for Sporting Journal Radio. Check it out. It was a good one. It was a fun trip. I want to go back. All right. Brian Nurbin from the Minnesota DNR joins us next to talk Malax. Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybell Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybell Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybellheights.com. That's haybellheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. Well, there's some things in this business that are uh, that we call no doubters. And anytime there's news about certain subjects, we have to share it because it's something that there's so many people in this region that care about it. We have to do it because it's it's uh, one of those big headline grabbers, uh, tension getters. And anytime you talk about news on Malax Lake, that's a no doubter. And we have got uh, some news about it right now that we're going to talk about. In fact, we're going to bring on uh, somebody that can explain some of these changes a little bit better than we can here on the show. It's uh, Brian Nurbin, the regional fisheries manager. He's going to tell us about Malax and uh, some of the other changes going on in the world of fishing. Brian, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. How when somebody says, "Hey, we want you to we want you to do some media and talk about Malax," how what's your first reaction when that when that question comes up? Well, it depends on what maybe the news is surrounding <laughs> at that particular moment, but uh, I get plenty of practice talking about this lake, and so it, it's a lot of things that I'm familiar with talking about for sure. Well, this is I, I would say this is good news. I'm sure people are excited about this uh, as announced. Uh, in March, the one fish walleye limit uh, will resume on Malax on September 1st, but there's an expansion of the harvest slot. So anglers will be able to harvest one walleye 20 to 23 inches or one longer than 26 with fishing allowed from 6 a.m. to midnight. Now that original 
uh, slot was one fish twenty one to twenty three or one longer than than twenty eight. Was there a was there a restriction on times that you could fish originally? Did that expand as well? Um, you know, that's something we've been doing a little bit more of the last couple of years. Last year, we started September 15th, where we let people fish till midnight. Uh, there's a pretty long tradition on Mille Lacs of people wanting to troll, um, especially in the full moon times at night. And so we wanted to allow that tradition to come back. Um, and so we started with September 15th last year just to see how much response we would get. We got definitely some people come out to, to take advantage of that, but it wasn't, you know, an overwhelming rush of people. And so we decided it would be okay to expand that to September 1st this year. So that was that was originally in the plan back in March when we announced it to relax that, that time. I, I haven't spent a lot of time on that lake, but I remember hearing about some night fishing closures years ago. Um, and I was like, wow, that's, you know, I mean, is fishing really that much better after dark that they have to close it down? And then I fished, one of the first times I fished Mille Lacs, we started at one and fished, I think the closure was at nine, if I remember, I can't remember what time yeah. it was. I think it was 10, yeah. I think we fished from one to one to 10, probably, one to closure. And we caught a couple walleyes throughout the day, but as soon as that sun dropped below the horizon, it was like, and we were filming a TV show and we were on one of the big boats and there was 10 of us out there with slip bobbers and whatever. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the sun went down, it was like bobber, 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 bobber. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah. Well, and with a lot of walleye fishing, you know, the, the walleye is really sensitive to light. Sure. And as, as that lake is cleared, and that relates to some of the changes we've been seeing in the lake over the last 30 years or so, um, I think that that's just a more pronounced trend where they are more, you know, turning on when that light goes a little bit lower when that sun goes down. Yeah. So um, help me out just a little bit. I know we had a we had a closure again this summer, right? Where are we at right like uh, before September, the rest of August here? What are the regs on Mille Lacs? Yep, it's catch and release only for walleye right now. Um, so people can go out there and and uh, target fish, um, use whatever bait they want, but uh, no harvest currently. So no we just had a two, we had a basically a two week window, um, first half of July, where um, we closed the fishery. We've been doing that for the last several years, and the reason is that's when the water temps are warmest, and also tends to be a lot of times when the bite can still be fairly um, good, um, and so that's a time when we saw a lot of hooking mortality some years. And so that two-week closure can sometimes save um, upwards of 20 or even 30,000 pounds of, of um, take um, mm. from hooking mortality. And so it's a conservative way for us to, to preserve later fishing opportunities. Because if we get too close to the state's share of our harvest from the lake for walleye, we have to close the fishery. Um, and so some years that's resulted in us shutting the fishery down around Labor Day. And so the folks that like to do that fall fishing, um, that fall trolling we were talking about, haven't been able to do it in some years. And so um, we're trying to preserve those opportunities as best we can, where we can probably sometimes some years preserve a couple months of fishing with that couple weeks of closure. Now, obviously, the goal is to not have any closure, right? I mean, without I mean, we can touch on this a little bit more later in the interview. But I mean, is there do you have hope that we'll see that in the near future anytime? Yeah, you know, it's something we're going to continue to be talking with our public about, too, because um, some of this gets into, you know, people's interest and what they want to see out of the lake. Um, so when we did our management plan a couple of years ago, we did some public input. And what we heard from our anglers was the number one thing they wanted to have was opportunity. They want to be able to fish. Um, but we also heard from, you know, a sig significant segment of our populace, population, too. They wanted to have some harvest opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're trying to balance that within – 
a limited amount of pounds of fish that are available for the state to be able to harvest. And so yeah. how we strike that balance of, you know, fishing opportunity while also providing some harvest opportunity too. Um, we need to continue to be talking with our public to see just how we're doing on hitting that sweet spot. Um, it is challenging though, where we've got a you know a limited number of pounds and the state's obligated to stay within that harvest. And so if we want to keep the fishery open, we end up sometimes having to set fairly conservative fishing regulations um, so that we um, have a low probability of having that closure happen before the end of the season. Um, and that plan closure is just one way to kind of have those conservative fishing regulations. Yeah. And it's a complicated situation. We don't need to rehash the details of why we are where we are right now. Everybody knows the situation up there. So it, it's where we're at. So you make the best of the situation. And, and honestly, when you look at Minnesota as a whole, I've been a proponent of lowering some limits anyway. Nobody wants to have no harvest. Everybody want, loves to eat walleye, right? So you want to be able to give yeah. them the opportunity to eat walleye. And obviously there's there's 10,000 lakes, you know, plus here in the state. So there's there's other places you can go to take a walleye home. The fishing on Mille Lacs is, is great. You have the chance to catch a big one. So it's a good catch and release lake regardless if you want to keep a fish. But I know if I, I would want to keep a fish if I went there, of course, or two. And, you know, Dan and I have been have been big proponents of lowering limits uh, statewide. You know, uh, a four fish limit uh, statewide would be fine with us. Even a three fish walleye limit, I wouldn't have a problem with. I wouldn't want to go much lower than that, which is which is where you run into issues when you have, say, a one fish limit on a, on a very popular walleye lake, of course. But uh, keep a couple of fish to have a fish fry. I don't like freezing it, so I like to, I like to eat it fresh. So I, I'm all about taking what is sustainable. And if... Uh, you know, if the data data says one fish is what what's sustainable for that lake, I guess that's what what you have to do. Now, were you were able to relax that slot a bit and open open up some opportunity for this fall because of a lower catch rate this summer? Explain how you discovered that and what do you think the reason for that is? Yeah, so the state has a creel survey, so that's where we're out interviewing anglers on the boat launches to see how long they've been out fishing, what they've been catching, and um, from that we can develop an estimate of the number of fish that have been caught. We've got other formulas based on studies we've done on Mille Lacs that then can calculate what the estimated hooking mortality is, and that's based on water temperature um, as the main driver of what varies. Um, so the warmer the water temperatures, the higher the hooking mortality tends to be. Um, and so we um, collect that information throughout the year, and that allows us to keep track of where the state's at as far as the state's take of walleye from the lake. And so this year, the, the bite's been pretty slow. Um, anglers have been you know, having a lot lower catch rates than we've been seeing the last few years. And so as a result, um, the number of fish that have um, you know, presumably, and we're estimating died from hooking mortality, is, is relatively low um, compared to what we thought it was going to be. And so uh, that has created the possibility for us to relax the fishing regulations this fall to provide a little bit more opportunity for harvest. Did uh, how are water levels on Mille Lacs this year? You know, um, they were down um, quite a bit last summer, um, as a lot of places with the drought we had. Um, but a lot of that snowmelt that we got um, in the northern half of the state also was in into Mille Lacs, and so the water levels rebounded quite nicely uh, going into the into this summer. And they haven't had quite the drought that the Twin Cities and some parts of Minnesota have had, and so the water levels are a little bit better this year than they were last year. 
Okay, so water, you know, because some areas had higher than expected water levels for a good chunk of summer that affected, affected it, it sort of affected fishing in the sense that you might have had a, it created some new fishing holes in, in some places. So you might have had to bounce around and look in different places, might have dispersed the fish a little bit more. But um, what, what, so for if an uh, increase in forage on Mille Lacs, say the, the yellow perch, was the main reason that walleyes had plenty to eat, uh, what do you think, what do you think caused that? Yeah, so this year, you know, as you said, Brett, you know, we've had that lower catch rate and it's probably mostly related to the amount of food that's out there in the lake. And we've been seeing this in our in our netting surveys that we do out there um, where this this yellow perch population has seen a pretty significant year class that hatched in 2020. And it's been growing in number as time has gone or sorry, it's been growing in size as time goes on. But uh, those they've still stayed relatively abundant and that's what a lot of the walleye are still feeding on is that 2020 um, year class of yellow perch and so while they've got an abundance of food out there the bite's going to be slower um, and so um, that's probably what's driving our catch rates to be low um, so yeah the the yellow clutch perch year class we're still trying to learn a little bit about that forage base out there and where it's going to settle um, it's a changing system as i've alluded to um, We've seen clearing water on the lake um, over time. That's probably related to the Clean Water Act and improvements to septic systems. And, and so we're seeing less pollution going in the water. And so that's meaning clearer water for that reason. And then we've got a couple invasive species that have become mm -hmm. well established in, in the lake as well. So zebra mussels and spiny water, spiny water fleas. And those have really changed the ecology of the lake too, where a lot of the resources used to be able to go into producing forage fish now get diverted into things like zebra mussels and spiny water fleas. And those aren't as available, especially in the case of zebra mussels. It's kind of a, uh, an ecological sink where a lot of that energy now goes into zebra mussels that used to be able to support other things in the lake. Oh, and really? so we saw, we saw some pretty low forage numbers, um, especially around 2018, 2019. Um, so that that's when we had some of the highest catch rates of walleye too. I mean, the the reports that we were hearing in the Creel of people going out and catching 40, 50 walleye in a day um, regularly, that was an exception. That was pretty commonplace. And so those, those numbers are, are mostly about the amount of forage out there rather than the number of walleye. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, as, as we've seen this big yellow perch pop, uh, year class come along, you know, we're, we're trying to understand better about what that means. Um, obviously something was good that year as far as the conditions in the lake for, for the yellow perch to succeed in reproducing. Um, and we see this with walleye too, that there are certain climatic conditions and other things that align that create, you know, favorable conditions in the lake, whether that's that um, the water temps warm up at just the right time so that there's a good bloom of algae that then the zooplankton are feeding on. And then that provides the food for the larval fish to be able to eat and grow um, so that they survive well. Um, or, you know, just having, you know, suitable water temperatures for growth. Um, sometimes if, if the water temps are not right, then the fish won't grow very well and they eventually kind of starve because they haven't been growing very well. So, you know, we've been starting to study the forage out there a little bit more closely. Um, it used to be that we just track that through our fall netting where we'd sample it annually once a year. But we've started to look at throughout the summer now because we want to see what's happening, you know, as these fish, you know, start to become, um, you know, a size where we can catch them in nets and see what their relative abundance is through those seasons rather than just once a year. Um, so we've been going out and doing that every month where we go out and sample some of these forage fish as well to mm. be able to get a better handle on what's going on. And we've only been doing that for a couple of years. And so we're still starting to learn just what those numbers mean. 
Um, and so it'll be interesting to not only track that 2020 year class, but other ones that happen over the time, over time to see how they compare. So for, for a while there, uh, fighting invasive species was taking priority over, over, uh, working on the forage base in the lake. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's all interconnected, right? And so we've got to keep track of, you know, what's happening with the forage because mm-hmm. that's what's driving growth of our walleye and, and in, in some senses what, you know, the amount of fish that that lake can support for predators. Um, and the invasive species like zebra mussels and spiny water flea are, are involved in what, what the productivity is of the lake. And so we've been tracking those invasive species numbers as well. So we go out annually and do dives where we have transects where we count the number of zebra mussels that are on the bottom of the lake. We do zooplankton tows where we're capturing those spiny water fleas and other zooplankton to track what's happening in that level of the productivity of the lake. So we're trying to look at all the different pieces of the puzzle and see how they fit together. So fishing, uh, as you mentioned, fishing uh, for the last few years has been phenomenal out there. I've heard of some some huge days on that lake of catching some nice walleyes out there. And... um, you hear you haven't heard about the perch quite as much, but with this year class, then do you think then the perch fishing like these fish will grow to a size where the the fishing will get better for us too as well for those Presumably fish? Presumably, we'll see some of that. You know, some of those fish are going to grow to a, a catchable size in the next year or two. Probably, I think they're you know six seven inches right now, so not there yet. But um, I think in a couple years they're going to be there, and they're like I said, they're staying in a high enough abundance that I think that there's going to be fish that grow out the other side. They're not all going to get gobbled up by by predators. So yeah, I think there's there's something to look forward to a little bit because I know that that's a that's a fishery that hasn't been as as good on Mille Lacs of recent years as those those jumbo perch that I know some people love to go and catch. Um, so yeah, we may see a little bit of a boost in a couple of years that people can get out and maybe do a little more of that. So the biggest question I'm sure you've gotten over the years is, uh, gosh, fishing is so good on Mille Lacs. I, I mean, the walleye numbers must be doing real well. Why do we still have these restrictions on us? How how are the walleye numbers overall on the lake? And do you foresee any long-term changes, maybe in, you know down the road increasing that bag limit or increasing our harvest size uh, for not just for us, but for the, the tribes as well? Or is it is it are we are we going to be sitting here for a while, you think? Yeah, I think we've been we've been trying to, like I said, learn just where this lake is going to settle in its new equilibrium. And so, um, yeah, we had a, a pretty low number of walleye around 2012, 2013, um, where people were really concerned at that point. Um, and that's right about the time that this really big year class of walleye came out in 2013 and started growing from there. And that's been driving the fishery for the most part since then. That's the bulk of the fish that are out there in the lake. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had a pretty good year class in 2017. So it's it's a couple of strong year classes with some, you know, sort of modest ones in between. Um, so it's been a few years, again, since we've seen a really strong walleye year class. You know, like I said, 2017 is the last really strong one that we've seen. Um, there's certainly still fish hat that are, that are recruiting from the fishery each of the years since then. But these really big year classes on Mille Lacs tend to be the ones that really drive fishing. So we're going to continue to keep an eye on, you know, those sorts of trends in reproduction. Um, but right now, the walleye population um, has been pretty stable the last three years, actually. Our, our netting and, and our modeling, you know, that sort of tracks the population shows that it's been fairly, fairly consistent the last three years or so. Um, so that it's, it's rebounded quite a bit from those lows that we saw back in around 2012, 2013. But it's not nearly as many walleye as we used to have in the lake either. It's probably half the number of, of pounds of walleye out there in the lake from what we had um, back in the 90s. And um, because of the changes that we've seen in the lake, you know, it's, it's 
unlikely we're probably going to go back to that. But it's still unclear exactly where this is going to settle. And so, you know, working with our tribal partners to manage the lake, we've also got to kind of, you know, figure out the different parties, where they want to see this lake go and what they think the potential is. And so, you know, we're trying to, to, to work on figuring out just, just where we think the lake couldn't get to. And um, so there's interest in trying to maintain that possibility that the fish can recover. Sure. Um, that slot limit, I've always kind of wondered about that slot limit. So uh, 21 to 23 or now 20 to 23, is that one of those strong year classes? Um, because a lot of times, I mean, a lot of times we won't even keep a walleye over 20 inches. Um, yep. So to have that one, I've always wondered, is that just because that's there's a strength, there's strength in numbers in that size? It's a good question, Brett. I'm glad you asked it. Um, so when we when we pick a slot limit for, for harvest, we're trying to balance, you know, where the, the numbers of fish are in the population with um, what people also are interested in keeping. Right. And so because we've got a couple of pretty significant year classes, they are all kind of a similar size. And so if we put the slot limit right in the middle of that sort of big peak of sizes of fish in the size distribution, we'd probably hit our harvest really fast. People would be catching keepers quite regularly. Um, but if we put it someplace completely outside of the zone of where fish sizes are, they would have almost no chance of, of catching a, a keeper. And so we kind of have to try to put it at a place where we think people will catch, have a chance to catch a keeper, but not such a great chance that every time somebody goes out, they're going to keep one because hmm. um, otherwise we'd have to shut down the fishery at some point. And so the 21 to 23 that we originally planned for this fall was trying to stay away from the, the sort of more center of the peak, which is around 20 inches or so for the number of walleye that are out there in the lake right now. Um, and so actually it might be more like 19, but anyway, um, by expanding that slot limit by just one inch, it actually brings in a lot of fish um, that are in that in that year class, the 2013 year class. And so both that move and then also bringing that maximum size limit down from 28 to 26, between those two, it actually puts about 50% more walleye into oh, wow. a harvestable size than we had before. So that one mm. inch of movement is really significant for the number of fish that are available for harvest now. You're going to have a lot of guys trying to stretch those walleyes. <laughs> <laughs> I sure hope we don't it's see so any stands. of that because uh, our <laughs> conservation officers will be keeping an yeah. eye on it. <laughs> of course. Well, and, you know, the, the other thing is uh, a 21-inch walleye, there's a lot of meat on a fish like that. So even if you can only keep one, I mean, that'll feed a couple of people, really. Yep. I mean, it's a, yep. it's a good amount of meat. And I think that's part of the those. thinking is that, um, you know, it's, it's something that you can actually feed a few people on. Um, and especially if you take two of you two or three people in the boat and you're able to boat a couple of them, then yeah, that's probably a pretty solid meal for people. Um, and, uh, you know, we could have, you know, looked at putting a size limit that was really small, you know, harvest 13 or 14 inch fish um, as a way to, you know, avoid that peak of fish as well. But then again, that's, that's not as much of a meal. Um, and it also is sacrificing, you know, growth that those fish mm -hmm. might have over time too, to a little bit bigger size too. Well, it's nice to have, you know, some good news, really, about Malax. <laughs> you, know, you always Yeah, you know, it's it's good and bad, right? Because obviously the yeah. fishing's been a little slow out there, and that's why we're able to offer this offer this opportunity. But we want to make sure when we got the chance, we do give a little bit of additional opportunity. Um, and we felt like this was the year to do that. 
I'm sure you know you'll always have some people that'll that'll hope for more, and it's you can't keep everyone happy. I've learned I've, uh, the DNR. You know, I don't agree with everything the DNR does, but I will say the DNR. It's a thankless job that you guys have, and uh, I applaud you for doing it because, especially when you deal with Malax, it's a tough one. And uh, you know, it's yep. good. It's good to have some increased opportunity. And what what do you the winter regs come out December first? I can't remember if we we touched on this maybe a little bit. Do you do you foresee any changes for the winter now in uh, in light of what's going on now, or will you determine that here over the next couple of months? Yeah, so we annually do our netting surveys for walleye in the fall. So we'll be out there in September here, starting probably in two three weeks, um, and we'll be out there gathering more information about what the walleye population is looking like, both the numbers and then also the size structure of the fish. Um, cause, because all that forage is out there this summer, they're likely growing a lot more than they have the last couple of years too. So we may see more fish growing into those slot limits we've been using the last couple of years. We've had that 21 to 23 inch harvest slot for the winter, I think for the last three or four years. Um, so as I said before, you know, we have to kind of strike that balance of how many fish do we want in that harvest slot? Um, how many fish do we want to see of our, uh, the states take for the year happen in winter versus preserving some for open water? Um, so we'll have to kind of figure out that right balance because um, we don't want to use up all of our pounds or a significant number in winter. And then there's there's limited opportunities in the open water season, too. Mm-hmm. So we're, again, trying to balance all these different pot- potential competing interests when we make that decision. So we'll, we'll look at the netting data um, that will be available in October and, and probably around early November is usually when we announce what the, the new winter uh, regulation is going to be. Well, when you look at a, a, a world-class fishery like Mille Lacs and its close proximity to our largest metro area, you're going to have to deal with a lot of fishing pressure. And that, sometimes that creates a delicate situation. And then you, you add in all these other factors, too, and it can That's be. A really good point, Brett, because, you know, our, our northern Minnesota walleye lakes, they just don't have the potential for the pressure we might see on a lake like Mille Lacs. You know, being in a couple hours from the Twin Cities or less, you know, people can run up there for the night to go fishing. Um, and so... We see a lot more pressure on Mille Lacs, um, especially when the fishing's really good. And that's one of the challenges we have to try to figure out is that we can't always predict how many people are gonna go fishing. And it has a lot to do with the bite a lot of times. Um, but uh, that plays a lot into how many walleye the state ends up taking in a year too. And that can, can vary a lot on a lake like Mille Lacs. That's why we always joke, you know, we do a lot of fishing in Canada and we always joke that it's cheating up there. And it, and it just all has to do, I mean, obviously there's there's good habitat for fish, but it all has to do in relation to pressure. And uh, just the more people you put on a lake, the, the, the fishing is just going to get a little bit tougher. Uh, there's mm-hmm. only, only so many fish to go around, so that's something that you always have to deal with. And being a regional fisheries guy, I'm sure you don't always deal with Malax. What else is going on out there? What other, what other uh, things you know- are you seeing in the fishing world? One of the phenomenal fisheries that I think doesn't get talked about enough is uh, the Mississippi Ripper and Lake Pepin. Um, That's the other large lake that I have in my region. And the walleye and sauger fishing on Pepin is as good as it's been in probably 50 years right now. There are multiple big year classes of walleye and sauger out there, especially walleye. And so last last fall, we set basically, I think, the, the highest or maybe the second highest catch we'd ever seen for walleye on Lake Pepin. Um, and the fish grow incredibly fast down there where the minimum size is 15 inches and the fish get there in their third summer of growth. 
Um, whereas it might take, you know, five years for fish, more, more northerly fish to get there. So these year classes of big, big year classes of fish we've been seeing grow really fast and get into that size where they're, they're keepers. And so there was some really good fishing, um, through June. I know down there in Pepin, I haven't heard any reports lately, but people were really happy with the fishing down there. So I think that's something people should consider, you know, talking about fisheries that are close to the twin cities. That's every bit as close as Mille Lacs is to, um, the twin cities, but, Hardly anybody thinks to drive south to go walleye fishing, I think. Obviously, we know smallmouth and walleyes coexist. They do it on other lakes up north in Canada, wherever. But Mm -hmm. the smallmouth fishing has been so good the last few years, and it seems that abundance has kind of surged while the walleye abundance is doing its thing. Do you think, and not that I really believe there is, but do you think there's a correlation between a smallmouth growth and a walleye decline? Or why are the smallmouth able to, because they kind of use similar habitat to a walleye, why are they thriving when our walleyes aren't? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so smallmouth bass and walleye kind of have different feeding behaviors. Um, walleye have those special eyes that can see really well in low light, and so they can feed really well in cloudier water. Um, and smallmouth bass, their vision is much more about seeing things in clear water from a distance. And so as that lake is cleared up for all the reasons we just talked about, it's favored smallmouth bass feeding a little more efficiently than they used to. Um, and so we're seeing a better, you know, more robust smallmouth bass population as a result. Um, that being said, the biomass of fish that are out there still significantly favors walleye. There's a lot more walleye out there than bass. Um, the bass tend to be, you know, as most anglers know, in those rockier areas of the mm-hmm. lake, and, and we don't see too many of them in other places. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they've kind of reached a um, sort of equilibrium, it seems. You know, we, we annually sample the bass population, too, through electrofishing and, and the monitor both the abundance and size structure that way. And they seem to have kind of settled into a, a new equilibrium at that population where it doesn't seem to be continuing to grow. Um, but uh, obviously an incredible size structure. You know, it was um, Lax one year, Bass Magazine put it as the number one bass lake in the yeah. country because yeah. this structure was so amazing um and people didn't know that before some of those big national tournaments started going there um so yeah it's it's people from all over the country that are coming to fish bass up there because it's such a phenomenal bass fishery but it's still it's still limited in where they're going to be and what they're doing and so there's a little bit of competition with walleye for sure um but it's it's actually they're feeding on some different things a lot of times too those bass are feeding a lot on insects and crayfish we did a um a diet study out there a few years ago looking at this question and and um there's a little bit of overlap with walleye at certain times of year where they're feeding on shiners or something like that but uh a lot of the year they're actually eating different stuff too so yeah yeah so there's 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 a little bit of overlap a little bit of competition but i think that the the invasive species impacts are much bigger than anything that, that smallmouth bass have had to the walleye population. Hmm. You hear people complain, oh, these, all, all these smallmouth bass, it's ruining the walleye population. But I've also been hearing lately, and particularly with the increase in, in sturgeon that we're starting to see in, in some of the historic areas in the state where they're coming back, Minnesota River, Big Stone, uh, Ottertail County. What what impact do you think sturgeon have on walleye, if anything? You know, I don't know a ton about um, how that might be playing out. I've heard that from a few places around the state, especially Ottertail County. I think that's where our sturgeon population has really boomed over the last few years, a new introduction. And, and at the same time, they've seen some maybe some smaller year classes of walleye, too. And so people are trying to put, you know, those two together. And I don't think we necessarily know that that's the case. Um, we've got 
plenty of populations like Lake of the Woods and the Rainy River where we've got very robust uh, lake sturgeon populations and we don't have you know any issues it seems with walleye recruitment or anything like that so you know it's something we'll certainly be looking at um, and considering but uh, yeah I, I don't I don't know for sure if there's a if there's an direct you know cause and effect sort of thing or if it just happens to be a correlation in some of those systems sure well we could talk fishing all day here with you but we'll uh we'll let you go now but any other uh fishing related news or malax related news out there that we need to get to our our listeners uh you know i don't think i have anything else but other than just to say that you know it's been exciting to see this renewed interest in fishing a little bit with the pandemic and some people mm-hmm. getting out there and and maybe rediscovering fishing um or or maybe trying it for, for the first time and and i hope that people continue to you know, get out there and do that. Um, and I hope that everybody that's an, an angler continues to do that, and encourage the next generation of anglers to get out there and do it too. So it's, it's up to all of us to keep this tradition going. Absolutely. All right. Brian Nurbin, Regional Fisheries Manager, Minnesota DNR. Appreciate the time today here on the show. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. Fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That's lakeofthewoodsmn.com. And once again, it's time to head up to Lake of the Woods to check in with Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism. Joe, how are things? Hey, Brad, doing well. How are you? Not bad. Summer's almost over, Joe. Oh, I tell you, don't even say that. But you know what? Uh, uh, fall sports have started at the schools, back to school lists. I mean, and you know, even even the uh, you're starting to see flocks of ducks and geese. Evenings are getting chillier, and I can tell you that some of the guides that have fished the Rainy River are starting to talk about more walleye action already. I'm so excited for fall, and, and I, I think it's game fair. Once game fair, game fair kicks off, I start to get excited about, about the hunting season again finally, and I am I am so excited about fall, but after, after last year actually spending some time on the water and catching some fish, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to doing some fall fishing this year too, Joe. Yeah, you know what? Fall fishing is so great. Obviously, it competes. You know, if you're an if you're an outdoors person that also hunts as well as fishes, it's hard because you only have limited time. And the hunting, for the most part, other than turkey hunting, I guess, and, and some other things, you, you pretty much do them in the fall too, right? So it's hard. It's so hard. But I got to tell you that you know, fall fishing up a lake of the woods, it's it's really really good. It's really good on the lake, and it's also really good for ang- anglers that fish that traditional fall run on the rainy river i can't wait and i you know i want to do a uh i want to do a cast and blast up there this fall joe i want to do it up the angle though mm-hmm. you know it's funny because you know lake of the woods is one of the few lakes in the state that you can actually do layout boat hunting on the lake where you're kind of you're, you're sitting you're almost basically laying back flat in these small flat layout boats that are they're real sturdy they're real solid but but you're kind of you're almost like parallel with the water out in the out and out in the you know on a big part of the lake you're not hiding in the weeds or anything and you put decoys all around you and those diver ducks come swooping through those rafts of decoys and it's one heck of a shoot so that's just one nuance to the duck hunting up a lake of the woods and and of course we get a whole bunch of divers coming down so you know, up at the angle, hunting those islands and hunting off of a point of an island, or I mean, it's just—it's—it's it's really kind of a unique shoot. You know, think about it. How many times do you duck hunt where you're hiding behind rocks or boulders? You know, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's unique. I've never done the layout boat thing. I've talked about it. I've, there's a couple of places I uh, are on my list that I'd like to try it, and uh, the angle is is right up there at the top. And then maybe we'd have to go fish the river afterwards or before. Maybe we'll go an extra day and do a little river fishing while we're up there, Joe. I'll tell you what, though. You know, some of the what, what some of the hunters that go up to the northwest angle do is, of course, they'll hunt in the morning right away, and uh, they come in, have a good breakfast. Maybe they take a snooze, and then they go fishing in the afternoon, and they they always they always get their walleyes. And of course, if they want to go for pike and muskies and stuff, they can too. But it's 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 a certainly a cast and blast opportunity. And and then of course that's at the north end of the lake. You, know, you talk about the, the the big basin. Our charter boats are running all over the basin, whacking walleyes, and the walleyes are putting on the you know the feed bag because you know, the winter is coming and eventually spawning is coming. And just traditionally, they really, they bite well in the fall in that cold water. And then, of course, then you got the Rainy River. And I think one of the really neat things about the Rainy River is that if somebody wants to bring their own boat up and all they have is a 14 or 16 foot boat, no problem on the Rainy River because it's relatively small water. Mm-hmm. I And you're saying guys are already starting to catch nice walleyes in the river? Yeah, there there are there's already some uh, some guys that have been fishing the river talking about how they're actually uh, catching some decent walleyes and you know I'm not sure if, if those are resident walleyes. You know we've had a lot of flow in the Rainy River this year and there's been a, more bait in the river than normal for the summer. So there's walleyes in there now and I don't know if some of those walleyes are entering from the lake yet or not. I, I can't say that, but I can tell you that every year early September you always get a few people that just start fishing the river and doing really well on walleyes and people are like, holy smokes, that walleye run is already starting or, hey, I've seen shiners already coming up the river. Mm. And, you know, that always happens in early September. And I mean, my goodness, it's already mid, mid-August. mid We're almost there. So it wouldn't surprise me if some of that is just starting right now, you know. Well, that, that shiner run, of course, everybody talks about that. So you're thinking with the higher water that uh, there could be some shines that maybe the, the run might be a little bit different this year, you think? Well, I, I think traditionally, um, and, you know, I, I'll preface my statement by saying Mother Nature. You know, people talk like they know what's going on with Mother Nature. And <laughs> I, man, I, I'll be the first one to admit I don't know. But it just seems like when there's a lot of water pushing out of that river, that, that fall walleye fishing ends up being pretty darn good. You know, I know that uh, with a lot of water going into that lake, I know the walleyes can sense that different smell of the river, but you know, that also encourages a lot of those shiners to run up and, and uh, again, there's already bait in the river. So I know that, you know, there's going to be some, some walleyes close behind. Um, it's, it's just, it's shaping up to be good. Time will tell though. Mother nature always dictates, right? Oh yeah. That's such a cool sight when you see those uh, camera, the shiners on the end of the dock there under the light spinning around in circles. Right. I'll so. tell you, I, uh, I went down to film um, just one evening. I was, you know, up at, up at a resort and I just went down to film the, the shiners like you showed there circling and they, they circle clockwise and just gallons. They just circle. And then every once in a while they fly out of the water because a walleye chases them underneath, you know, <laughs> but, but I went down to the end of the dock and, you know, uh, across the river over in Canada, straight across was a big, big flock of Canadian geese staged on their migration. And they were honking away. And across the river over to my left, there was a pack of wolves howling in Canada. Oh, wow. Over over my right shoulder, there's domestic dogs that were barking at the wolves. And then, you know, I can hear ducks go over my head, diver ducks. You know, they're, they're flying right over my head. And then, of course, you got the shiners running. I mean, what, what a, what a, cool scenario with so many things going on in the fall that it you can see why people really enjoy it yeah you, you can see why people would want to just live there 
you know, <laughs> just move I mean, there you know and be there year round. Like the outdoors, yeah. you know, and having that right right outside your back door is not a bad gig. Well, let's talk about uh, a couple of minutes left here. Let's just talk about how people are catching fish. If you were going up there right now, Joe, what would you be doing? We know it's interesting. Um, Normally, this is the dog days of of August, and the two techniques would be pulling spinners and, you know, trolling crankbaits with lead core or however you get your cranks down in that deeper water out in the main basin. Now, there are some fish out in that main basin, but there's a lot of walleyes this year that are still, you know, relating the shoreline structure. And the other thing I'll tell you is that in addition to pulling spinners and pulling cranks, which is working, jigging is still working really well and mm-hmm. there's still a lot of people catching walleyes jigging which normally this time of year that dies off but that technique is still going strong so it's kind of a unique year um we mentioned water levels are coming down so docks are starting to pop out of the water again that's good news and you know uh, we've been pretty much debris free for the most part um in our basin all that junk from the high water has flushed through over a month ago so you know we're in good shape that way so yeah it's just kind of a unique year every year is a unique year in some way shape or form though isn't it uh, absolutely i mean you you, you got to take what mother nature gives you and it seems like there's always some little some little challenges or some little differences each year but uh you know if you're going to a place like lake of the woods you're, there's gonna be fish there you just got to figure out how to get them to bite and they're usually fairly cooperative when you go up there well, the, too. Other, the other thing i'll say is that right out in front of pine island out in front of both gaps so the lighthouse gap where the rainy river runs in and also the um, Morris, Morris Point Gap, where the Bossa Creek runs in, you know, there there has been some pretty darn good fishing in 15 to 20 feet of water for eaters, they, you know, um, 15 to 17 inches for the most part. But there's been some pretty darn nice eaters hanging out around there all year long. And uh, um, so it's just been overall, it's been really, really good fishing. Well, if people want to plan a trip this fall to Lake of the Woods or try to get up there before summer ends or start thinking about ice fishing, what should they do, Joe? You know what? Best place to check out our website, and that is Lake of the Woods. MN.com. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. Did you know there are more than 1,000 lakes in Ottertail County? Yep, and I'm going to fish as many as I can. I'm an outdoorsy otter. Nothing beats a full day of fishing for me. The lakes of Ottertail County give me plenty of options to lower my boat and snag the perfect catch. Not an outdoorsy otter? No problem. Ottertail County has something for everyone. You just need to find your inner otter. To find your inner otter, go to ottertaillakescountry.com. All right, so we'd like to bring you the latest fishing reports. We've got people all over the region who are who never leave the lake. They're constantly on the water telling us the latest information about what's going on right now. So we're going to check in with Randon Olson right now from Lockjaw Guide Service who is currently fishing out of his out of his golf cart right now. <laughs> hey, golf golf, you got to have time for golf too, I guess. Randon, how's it going, man? It's going pretty good. There's just too much stuff to do here in Ottertail County. You got to try a little bit of everything. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, but you're obviously spending, uh, when you're not on the golf course, you're on the lakes all the time fishing. How's fishing been this summer? 
You know, it's, it's been okay. Uh, we've had a little different summer. We've had cooler water temps than normal and higher bait fish populations than normal. Mm. Um, but if you're willing to grind a little bit, the fishing's been pretty good. You just, you, you're going to work a little bit. You know, it's interesting that you say that because uh, we just talked to uh, biologists over at Mille Lacs and he was saying that the forage base is really high on Mille Lacs, so it's been a tough bite over there too. So I wonder if there's something about weather conditions this year that's created, you know, more forage in a lot of our lakes in Minnesota. Yeah, I think uh, it kind of seems like perfect storm. You know, we had a four week long bug hatch this year, which I've never seen. Um, cooler water temps the whole summer, late summer, late spring. Um, who knows? That could be the perfect storm for bait fish. Well, you may say it hasn't been the greatest, but I still see pictures of a ton of fish coming out of your boat. Yeah, we've been scratching them out. Um, it's, it's definitely a run and gun summer, you know, two fish here, one fish there, four fish there. Um, we'll probably hit 15 to 20 spots in a four hour trip to get, you know, six to 12 fish. So, uh, the fish are spread out. Um, when you find them, they'll eat, but you're not finding any big groups of them. It's just a single here, maybe two or three over there. Um, and that's just kind of grind it out. So are you, are you searching using electronics and looking for marks? Or are you hitting spots and saying, let's try this for a little bit and then move on? I uh, definitely searching, you know, the live sonar stuff's helped a lot with that because I fish a lot of weed spots and sand spots, a lot of shallow fishing. Um, and in the past you had to just kind of rely on, you know, past experiences and, and what you're seeing that day, if that weed bed looks good enough to fish, um, where now I can take a pass through and I know if there's fish in there or, or there's no fish in there. Um, and, and that's kind of changed the way that I fish my shallow water stuff this time of year. When you're running and gunning then, and you spot something, you got clients in the boat, are you, uh, trolling? Are you slip bobbering? You pitching jigs? What's your, what's kind of your go-to? Kind of the, the last few weeks has been uh, pulling cr crankbaits up shallow. And then when we find an area that's got some fish in it, we'll turn back around and we'll kind of rip some hair jigs or plastics through there. I've uh, been staying away from the live bait as much as possible. I just, I've been really trying to get more into the plastics this summer with all my clients. Um, and it's been working good. The fish like it. Generally, they're nicer, bigger fish on the plastics. So that's uh, kind of got double-edged sword there. works both ways. Well, with a lot of forage, are you finding, are the fish a little bit beefier? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the fish are a lot healthier. Um, yeah, you, you're trying to fool Mother Nature. So all those really fast, you know, when we're pulling cranks, I'm going four to five miles an hour with them. We're really cruising with it. Wow. Um, and you're just trying to find an active fish. That's what you're looking for. You're not trying to catch every fish you see. Power trolling. Man, I would I would just be like second guessing the whole time if I was going that fast. Be like, I'm going too fast. So what what are you are you are you using some deep diving cranks? Are you using some three ways? Are you what are you are you trying to fish getting that crankbait? I mean, are you worried about that crank coming up if you're rolling that fast? Uh, generally I'm using a lot of kind of like stick baits, like Husky jerks, um, longer stick minnows. Cause I want that bigger profile going that fast. Um, we will use some, so I kind of run two prongs when I go that fast. I'll put a couple stick baits way out back, like 60 to 90 foot. And then I'll take a couple deep divers and put them about 10 foot behind the rod tip. Mm. Um, those two stick baits only get down about two, three foot. And then those deep divers will get down about six to eight. So I've kind of got all the areas covered that I want to cover. Um, and just set the drags loose and, and, and go fast. <laughs> that's more math than I like. That's, <laughs> that's good. I mean, obviously you know what you're doing out there. That's uh that's quite the system to implement and you are covering all the bases there when you do that. 
Man, when how how long have you been employing that method like uh, of going that fast? I, I, I assume you're going after kind of a reaction strike by tra- by trolling that fast. Yeah, it, it all came from musky fishing. I mean, it's it's been kind of practical, common knowledge musky fishing in September, October, August. Uh, you pull a bucktail at seven, eight miles an hour and you get four bites and catch one of them. You know, you, you miss a lot of fish doing it just because you're going so fast. But um, it just transferred over from musky fishing. It's, I think I think a lot of people are scared to fish walleyes aggressively. Um, and this is the best time of year to fish aggressively. So it, just, it works really well. You Hold cover on. a lot more water than the guys going a mile and a half, two miles an hour. A fish flop Friday picture there for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, speaking of that, I, uh, Dan and I want to talk to you about a musky, uh, musky afternoon or musky day here this fall. We can talk about it off the air, but, uh, it is almost time to start thinking about muskies, isn't it, Randon? Yeah. These cooler water temps this summer's had them going pretty good. Uh, a few times I've been out, we've been catching them. Fish are moving, fish are shallow, which is, which makes for a lot more fun fishing. You know, when that water temps are hot and the fish are lethargic, it's makes for a long summer, but we're, we're shaping up to have a really good fall. Oh, you got some open dates too. It looks like for, uh, for getting for some guide trips if people want to get out and jump in the boat with you. Yep. A couple of those have filled up now, but, uh, we still got a few left. we got a few for October as well. So. Okay. All right. Lockjaw guide service. If you want to do some musky fishing with Randon Olson, what about, uh, panfish right now? Have you been chasing crappies or anything around? Yeah, there's kind of two bites for panfish. Um, I haven't done this one. I've heard of a few guys catching them in about 40 to 50 foot on the bottom. Um, just be careful and be mindful when you do that, that they're they're more than likely dead when you bring them up. So yeah. keep everything you catch if you do it to go that deep. But the main one I've been hitting is just over top of the cabbage, uh, pulling or pitching some little 16th ounce jigs and twister tails. Um, it, they're a little spread out as well. And I think that's a lot to do with the long bug hatch and the, and the bait fish that's going on. So some days you just pile them up. Other days it's two here, one there, four there, and you just keep keep grinding it out. Hmm. Well, Otter Tail Lakes Country, great, great place to, to, to chase multi-species. Anything you want to do, that county's got it for you. Um, Rannon, if people want to do some fishing with you this fall or uh, yet this summer, if they have any openings, what should they do to get a hold of you? Best thing to do is just give me a call at 218-640-0158. Uh, otherwise, you can check out the website at www.lockjawguideservice.com or find us on Facebook. Rannon Olson, thanks for the time today on the show, man. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.